Welcome to this week's episode of Resisting the Dragon's Beast. I'm Pastor Michael Zarling. I'm here with Pastor Peter Hagen. We're on page 83 in chapter 5 of the book as we're looking at Is Resistance Futile? And there I talk about uh, John Knox, who was a Scottish minister, theologian, writer, and he wrote about resistance, quote, to resist tyranny is not to resist God, nor yet his ordinance, his law, his commands. And Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin both really liked that quote, which is interesting because Benjamin Franklin was an, was an atheist and Thomas Jefferson was uh, a humanist. And yet they really like that idea that resistance uh, is not uh, forbidden by our God. Uh, so with that, Peter and I are going to talk about some examples of resistance, uh, two that just came up real recently. So, Peter, if you want to talk about the one that you had researched. Yeah, um, <clears throat> happened over in, in Finland, and uh, it's on your screen there if you're watching on, on YouTube, the YouTube podcast. Otherwise, um, I'll just give a brief summary. Uh, the headline is, is fascinating. This is from a statement from the International Lutheran Convention or International Lutheran Conference, um, which I think is a just a group of churches, international church bodies in fellowship with the Missouri Synod. And the headline said, Finnish Bishop and Member of Parliament Acquitted in Bible Trial Appeal. Uh, so that's two separate people. And it stems with... Um, Dating back to, um, I think, 2004, here it is, the charges stemmed from a 2004 booklet in which this bishop and, uh, and this member of parliament worked together and articulated the historic Christian understanding of sexuality. Um, the doctor, the member of parliament, was also charged for two other statements, one of which was a tweet with an image of a Bible verse, the decision to prosecute the prominent Finnish politician and a Lutheran cleric, drew widespread international concern over the state of religious freedom and free speech in Finland. And so if the interesting part about this is that it's a it's a booklet that's almost 20 years old by this point, um, where the, the the man who wrote it um, did a fantastic job just saying, you know, here's what we believe um, about about human nature. Here's what we be, believe about Christian about human freedom to do these things. Here's what we believe about the dignity of, of all humans and human rights. Um, and so you're touching touching on all, all the main ideas that are basically the, the straw man arguments that others would say. Well, that and trying to turn the idea of homosexual marriage into a civil rights issue. So then the government prosecuted them for for this because it was hate speech. Um, and if you know anything about the, the Nordic countries, um, they've got, and, and Switzerland also, um, they have a history of um, classifying anti-homosexual, anti-gay sections of scripture as, as hate speech. And to you know, assert that publicly is also hate speech. So example, for example, in Norway, it's been illegal for probably about two decades now um, to publicly have a reading uh, that includes the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah um, as, as one example. And this isn't the first, um, the first Christian pastor who has gotten into trouble for this sort of thing, but this is the first time where it was 
a pastor or the bishop, you know, like a standard president, you might think, as well as another person who was a member of parliament, and they were both being prosecuted for the same thing. And so they were, um, the, the court unanimously ruled in their favor. Um, that, was, that was a trial that started back in 2022. And the interesting thing about Finland's legal system is that after they were acquitted, if the prosecution decides, the prosecution can appeal the acquittal, which is different from in the United States. Um, and so the prosecution appealed the acquittal and went before another uh, panel of three judges to present their case. And, um, and they ended up losing. The prosecution lost a second time. I'll scroll back up a little uh, to where we, we were really talking about here. Um, and so the, the prosecution lost twice, and these two people, um, one who is a rostered member of the clergy and one who is a member of parliament, <laughs> were both acquitted a second time unanimously um, by the Helsinki Court of Appeals. And this gets to um, the, the big question um, that we talked about in a previous episode, I think it was the last episode, was on the topic of hate crimes and hate laws that the law in and of itself does not have the ability to discern motive. Um, it goes on the basis of action. And if we add on a hate crime writer or a hate speech law um, to call it hatred, hate uh, is trying to discern the heart. And that can get into very dicey territory because number one, it means that justice is not blind under the law to everyone. Well, at the same time, secondly, um, who is it that defines hate speech and hate crime? Well, it's those with the, you know, the largest public sway or those who um, are able to influence the votes or those who are able to influence the politicians. That's yeah, thanks. The, uh, the snapshot. Yeah. yeah, thanks for digging into that. It's one I've heard about for the last couple of years on different podcasts and reading about it and so forth. But Peter understands all that legalese stuff way better than I do. I like this story that I read this morning. And, and what this one is, is it's a story about in Australia where uh, Dan Andrews, who is the former premier of uh, Victoria, Australia. So he wants to apply for a golf membership at this really ritzy golf club and they won't let him because he when he was premier uh in australia he had locked down that half of australia where the golf club was whereas he was on the other side of the nation and that side was much more free and so he could golf freely and so forth but the people on say the right side right-hand side of Australia, they could not go over to the left side and do anything unless they had their vaccine passports and so forth. And so now that he is retired from uh, from government and he wants to get into this swanky golf, golf course, they won't let him. And you could say, well, they're just being petty. Or they could just be saying, no, we're teaching you a lesson. You wouldn't let us have our freedom before to do what we wanted to do under the law. And now we have the law on our side. We don't have to let you uh, be here. And, you know, we don't need to feel sorry for this guy because he's still a he's still a member at another swanky golf course elsewhere. But I just thought it was kind of a hilarious way of demonstrating 
resistance and demonstrating to those governing authorities to say, hey, we, the people, we have this power too. And that's what we're really talking about here with resistance is we have the power to say no. So Peter and I are going to talk about some other favorite examples of resistance that we can think of either in history or currently. And for those who are listening, if you can put in the comments on Facebook, on YouTube, you can email them to me at resistingthedragonsbeast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd like to hear your favorite examples of resistance. So what do you have, Peter? <laughs> um, one of my favorite ones is, is similar to that, <clears throat> where in the state of Michigan, under Governor Gretchen Whitmer, um, she advocated for and, and spoke very publicly and very sternly. Um, I don't know to what extent, you know, her, her, what she said was legally binding on every citizen, or if it was another constitutional question, as it was with Governor Evers over in Wisconsin. But um, she was very forward to say, you know, don't get together with people, don't celebrate graduations, because that'll be too many people at your graduation party, and you find a way to, um, to just get away from people and, and uh, after she said all this and basically said don't go up north because then you're going to have all sorts of people up north that don't live in the same area and they'll be spreading this virus from one cabin to another whatever and then her husband went to where they they store their uh, their boat over the winter time and um and said i like to get my boat out and they're trying you know organizing all these other boats to get them out as well and they said okay well we'll work on that you know get you ready to go here in a day or two or maybe three days and he's like and his response was don't you know who i am um i need my boat out today <laughs> and they said oh that's who you are um we're gonna bump you down to the bottom of the list <laughs> um and, it, and it's it's a little tongue-in-cheek um yeah. and that realistically as a business they they have the discretion to make different choices in regard to their business um, but it also shows that there is a proper, proper lane and a proper, um, proper place for the exercise of authority, that their exercise of authority, that her exercise of authority, he's not the governor, she is, that her exercise of authority is in the lane of the governor, and that has its constitutional boundaries to it, um, whereas he can't piggyback off of her reputation to try to coerce a small business into running the small business the way that he thinks it ought to be run um and that that one was kind of kind of humorous um and and it yeah i guess i'll just leave it at that kind of a funny one yeah <clears throat> that made me think of uh, a church out in california that uh, what they did with with lockdowns and everything because california was you know it's kind of like michigan they were really tight and so but the weather there was really nice. So even in the wintertime, they had outdoor worship services. So, you know, the local government was restricting how many people you could have inside the building. So they just moved the worship service outside. So they bought a canopy. They bought uh, some of those big heaters and so forth, probably two of them, one for front, one for back. And then they held services outside. Uh, that was just a way of saying, all right, this is what your rule is. But here's our way of resisting that rule. Uh, one yeah, of my and, favorite and I guess ones. To, together yeah. with that, then, 
the issue isn't um, the question of whether this is the Black Plague or whether this is, um, as others on the other side of the aisle you know, described it as just a cold or just a cough. The severity of the virus isn't the issue. The issue is whether somebody has the constitutional and legal right to enforce their will. And especially as they start to enforce that will, that that will necessarily encroach upon the rights of others and that those rights need to be preserved as well. And so it really is primarily a legal issue that can be thought through. And um, and if the virus really is as serious as it looked when when it first came to this country, um, then that would have um, that would have sorted itself out rather quickly where people would be like, well, I don't want to get together with all these people because this is this is going to kill me if I do. And it would the in a sense, the the market would have um, would have remedied that situation. Yeah. And then one of my favorite examples, and you can look this up. What my favorite news source is not the bee.com. And that's because they're short articles, they're tongue in cheek, they're all the things that should be satire on the Babylon Bee. And they're not. They're really true stories. And so you can look these stories up there and elsewhere. But it's where it's the Dutch, Italian, European farmers that are having their land taken away by their government because of uh, climate change and cow farts and things like that. And I mean, that's literally what they say was cow farts. And so the uh, the farmers are protesting. And they're protesting by taking their big tractors and they're going down and blocking traffic on the freeways. <clears throat> they're taking hay bales uh, and then they're setting them on fire on the side of the road. I'm not sure what that does, but the, the my favorite one was where they took a manure spreader and then they sprayed the front doors of one of the city uh, government buildings and then put it all right in front of the doors. We might think that's kind of gross, and that's it is, and might be kind of childish and so forth. But you know, I guess my way of looking at it is they're trying to stay within the laws, and then they're also trying to say what you're doing as a government is wrong. You're taking, you're stealing from us. That's against the seventh commandment. Uh, you're taking what is ours, and you're taking away what belongs to our children as their inheritance. So what could they do under the law to be able to say, you need to rethink this? And that's what they were, that's what the government eventually decided to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of a, kind of a funny one and really um, testing the limits of, of peaceful protest. Um, and, but they definitely got everybody's attention that it, that it makes news on the other side of the world. I had just a little bit more than on the topic of um, of hate speech and, you know, not to leave that one completely in the, in the dust. Yeah, I, I know um, you go to hate speech. I'm talking about manure. <laughs> if I say it right now, then we have brought the total number of times that the word cow farts, there it is, has been said on there this podcast go. up to three times awesome. over the last 1500 episodes. Uh, <laughs> there we are. Um, so, yeah, when you talk about when you talk about hate speech, um, you know, that's not a, what we what I worry about is, number one, who defines what is hate speech? Number two, what are the boundaries and what are the legal impacts of that hate speech? Number three, how is that hate speech enforced? Um, and that's not to say that, you know, 
you and I, that any person can find some sort of speech, some sort of um, opinion to be reprehensible. You know, like I find it reprehensible to think that it's freeing to, um, to abort a baby. You know, that is, that is my opinion. And I could defend that logically um, in discussion. But when we talk about hate speech, I think there's one caveat that we add on to that, that we want to let this, these topics sort themselves out in open dialogue. Like that is one of the purposes of the First Amendment is to preserve the free assembly of people so that they can discuss these things in a logical setting. Um, the one caveat that I would add is, uh, it's not for me, I brought it from somebody else, the idea of, of chumming the water. Um, and so, you know, remember the movie like Jaws. In Jaws, yeah. Yeah, like in Jaws. Yeah, here's a movie reference. This is my first one ever. <laughs> so in the movie Jaws, um, was it Steve McQueen or whoever it was is no. like, okay, it's been a while. He, uh, Richard, he's Richard, struggling... Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. All right, there we go. Mr. Holland. Mr. Holland's opus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So Richard Dreyfus is is shoveling like chopped up fish and and bloody fish blood out into the water, chumming the water so that the sharks in the area start coming there and coming to the surface to eat it. Um, and this is the, this idea of chumming the water and hate speech is linked together under the umbrella of what we call othering. That if somebody, um, if I don't like a particular people group because of their their race their religion their orientation you name it um or their their favorite sports team <laughs> then what we then what we people do is they assign a name to that group a pejorative name you know if you're from kansas and um oh it's a it's a jaywalk it's a jayhawk and if you're just walking across the street um not at a corner then you're jaywalking um you think of the civil rights era and you think of the, 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 you know, very bad word applied to people of a darker skin tone. Um, and that idea of assigning a name or a title to them dehumanizes them, says that they are other than us in a way that is visible, that they are not as worthy of the same protection as us, um, that they are not human the same way that you or I are. Um, same thing with the, the Jewish people wearing a yellow star, Yudin, um, that they don't match up with society. And even some of the, the other statements that come to mind of some of our politicians, you know, calling somebody a, you know, somebody who is deplorable. Um, you know, that, that is, you know, that's the only one that comes to mind offhand. Um, but you're thinking about all these terms and what they're doing is that they are othering the other group to say that they're not like us, they are dangerous, they are outsiders, they are different. Um, and when you are othering another group, especially with inflammatory terminology and hate speech or inflammatory language, the other thing that happens is chumming the waters, that you're throwing out these things and there are, you know, at any given time, between three and 10%, <laughs> the, the numbers vary widely, but between three and 10% of society is willing to do, you know, rash, criminal, stupid, um, hateful, hurtful actions towards somebody else. And so if you chum the waters enough and you say, well, the problem is there and the problem is there, um, then what you have is the result of, well, this person who you know maybe happens to be transgender or identifies as transgender says the problem was that christian church or that christian school and then they walk in in you know somewhere in tennessee um that would be one example i would say 
Um, and that's where, you know, as, as Christians, we want to be very forward about this, that I don't, I'm not in favor of the idea of hate law protection, hate speech laws. I'm equally not in favor of um, people spewing forth just vitriol and hatred um, and treating somebody as less than me and, and applying terminology to them that makes them less than me. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that needs to be or even can be corrected with a law um, because the law will always have unintended consequences. And usually those unintended consequences will get directly to the heart of what the law can never understand, which is that, the, you know, for instance, the heart of a Christian is going to be different. There's my yeah, rant for the day. Yeah. And well, with that, you were talking about with bad words and so forth that, uh, I just watched Blazing Saddles again the other day. That one's chock full of all the bad words that none of us can say. But understanding that's a, a movie that was that can never be made today. But it was made to do. It was a satire of all the people that actually believe that kind of stuff, uh, and and presenting in a humorous way. And that's what you and I are trying to do here too. Is I think you use humor to disarm. Uh, and then I think what you're saying too with the hate speech, and you're using the example of chumming the waters. I use in the book a few pages after where we are right now is taking the lid off of a boiling pot. That when the government is so oppressive and it's just like holding that lid down on a boiling pot, eventually. The lid's going to come off, and it's going to, uh, you know, throw all that water up and so forth. And then you've got a big mess. And there, I think of, I think this is a week or two ago, uh, uh, out in Europe, where some climate activists were shutting down the freeway again by just laying down, putting signs out and so forth. And there was an American lawyer that was over there, an older guy in his 70s or 80s, and he ended up shooting two of the people. And he murdered them. It was a sin against the fifth commandment. There is no justification for what he did. But I use that as an example because the governing authorities there, the police, they let that lid on for so long by not doing their job, by not using the sword of Romans chapter 13 of uh, punishing the evildoers. And because people are just so irate and they're so tense, especially on a freeway, they boiled over. Or I think of in the same way here in America, uh, I'm planning what to do with my wife, Shelly, for our 30th wedding anniversary next year. And I thought, well, let's go to New Orleans, you know, because uh, I want to jazz and blues and uh, jambalaya and red beans and rice and then go see gators, uh, you know, out in the boat and so forth. And she doesn't want to go to the city. at the Café du Monde? There you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. But but she doesn't want to go anywhere near any big city, and I understand because the majority of our big cities in America, the same thing is happening. That the because our police, but especially our DAs, our district attorneys, are not punishing the evildoers, then there there's this. 
uh, lid that they're holding over and and there's more and more violence and now the people are going to rise up and now they're going to not resist they're going to rebel in in some way and so i told her we can go down south we'll find a small little town where we can still eat snakes and gators and jambalaya and all that kind of stuff i hear montana's beautiful <laughs> there you go i don't think there's any gates the gators out there uh, there's not a whole oh, yeah. lot of, there's not a lot of jazz bears. out there either <laughs> uh, so with all that being said, uh, one of the questions I have in my study guide, and again, our listeners, if you like the study guide, just contact me and I'll email it to you. So Peter, why is it important with everything we're talking about? Why is it important to understand that part of our vocation as Christian citizens is to hold our governing authorities accountable? Oh, yeah. I think that's a, that's a fantastic question. Um, the, the short answer is that if we as Christian citizens aren't, don't, have, don't have some way of addressing the ills of society, then we risk having just the biblical truth, but not thinking of how it applies in life and applies to the body. I think generally, you know, the, the bigger picture is that... Um, we lapse into some sort of like implied Gnosticism. Um, so Gnosticism says, you know, the spiritual is one thing and the physical is another and never shall they meet and, and they don't affect each other. And so Gnosticism says that, you know, the, the body doesn't matter, that the physical life doesn't matter. And if we as Christian citizens are completely checked out from um, influence in our local communities or caring for our neighbor in his needs, then we lapse into this idea that, well, we do the church thing. But then as far as having it apply to me loving my neighbor, that doesn't happen. Um, and the next step of having me actually apply what I hear in church um, to my life and to the way that I interact with the people around me, um, we just, we risk and we do end up losing um, the truth of the gospel as, as God intended it to bear fruit in our lives. Yeah, we are called to hold our leaders authority, uh, accountable. Our pastors, we, we hold them accountable. That's why we, pastors have to give pastors reports and things like that. Uh, you know, that's why uh, my associate Nathan and I, what the way we set up, say, our shut-in visits to go visit our elderly members is I visit half of them in one month and he visits the other half that same month. And that holds me accountable. I better get my people visited because he's coming in a few weeks. Okay. We hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. And then say, hey, Nathan, I didn't get mine done or you didn't get yours done. We hold each other accountable. Well, we hold our parents accountable. You know, if they said, hey, I'm going to do this, and then they don't do it. We hold uh, corporations accountable. But for some reason, what we've heard the last few years, Peter, is Christian citizens not thinking this through of saying, well, we need to hold our governing authorities accountable too. No. If we're going to hold everyone authority mm -hmm. in authority accountable, that means the government is held accountable too. And it's not just through voting because that only happens, you know, uh, you know, in November usually. Although I, you know, you were talking about Michigan, it just came to mind. I read this 
last week, I think, there was a small city, so you could do this, they held a special election because the the small group there, and then they were, they were Republicans, so you would think they were conservative. These, uh, say, five or seven people on the city council, they had brought in a Chinese company into that little town, and the people didn't want it. So they held a special election. They voted out every single one of those city officials to get in people to say, we don't want Chinese companies here in America. So I thought that you, know, you can do that, but you can't do that on a large scale. Uh, you can write you know, emails and letters, but it's easy to throw away the letters. It's easy to not pick up the phone on a phone call. It's easy to, to hit delete. So what can you do? There has to be other examples, other ways of holding people in governing authorities accountable. So, yeah, and I think the big idea there is that for every vocation in life, there's a mutual relationship there. And within that relationship, each party has their own set of responsibilities, that it's actually not being a responsible Christian citizen if you're not going to um, carry out your own personal citizen responsibilities to speak up and use the rights that God has uh, preserved for us that we have. Yeah. So on the bottom of page 86, I use a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had resisted Hitler and the Nazis during World War II. Uh, I say Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer summarized it well. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. So what is he talking about there, Peter? <laughs> that there is, um, it, it's the same way that Luther talks in the, in the large catechism, that when he says, for instance, um, you shall not murder, fifth commandment, that doesn't mean refrain, that doesn't only mean refrain from murdering, that also means the positive of um, doing what is good for your neighbor and taking care of your neighbor. And so when Bonhoeffer is saying that, you know, to not speak is to speak, that you can't just you know, put on silence and then and then pretend that everything's going to be fine, because then that is being complicit, that is being an accessory to whatever is going on, and that is not using your speech. And at some point, um, you will lose the ability to use that speech. Yeah, yeah, you can't like you said, uh, silence. I, there, I thought of you can't just put your phone on silent and just ignore everything that's going on in the world. <laughs> No, that's not our vocation, but I think that's what a lot of people do is, you know, Peter, you and I have been in the ministry for a long time and it can happen in our churches. And before we start recording, we're saying we're bragging about our specific churches and how much we like our people and hopefully our people like us. And, uh, you know, big part of that is <laughs> or tolerate I, us at least. <laughs> yeah. My, my, you know, my people get involved in ministry. I think yours do too. But in a lot of churches, mm -hmm. it can be, well, this is what we pay the pastor to do. You know, he's the one that's supposed to go to the hospital. He's the one that's supposed to make the outreach calls. He's the one that's supposed to do this or that. That's what we pay him for. No, uh, then 
then they're not doing their vocation as members. You know, they're supposed to be involved in the ministry of the church. And I think the same temptation happens to us as Christian citizens. Well, we pay our governing authorities to do this, so now I don't have to do anything. And that gets to what you know Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. When we see evil, we have to speak up against it. We have to stand up against it. And there I quote St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. When we see evil, we need to be confronting that evil because all evil is from the devil. All love and good comes from God. And so that's our, our role as Christians and our role as Christian citizens. And even even in that verse from First Corinthians thirteen, um, you hear the the positive and the negative. Um, the negative that love does not do this. Love does not delight in evil. And then you hear the positive. Love does rejoice in the truth. That you know that there's two sides to to this. When we're talking about the application of God's law in the life of the Christian, um, the two sides are both what it the negative and the positive. What do I refrain from? And then what do I do? And that those are operative or ought to be operative in in every different vocation that we that we wear and have and then on the bottom of page 88 i got some pushback when i talked about this in 2021 when i presented the first five chapters of the book at our pastor's conference and i said that if something happens again that wants to shut down the churches, I won't do it. Now, I haven't talked to my people, my leaders here, you know, so this is only speaking for me and my church body, although my associate Nathan, he and I have talked about this, he would agree with me, that if the our church leaders decide that they're going to close the church down because the government says so, well, then we're going to have church services elsewhere. You know, we'll do them. I God's blessed me with a huge backyard. We'll find some place to have services because uh, God, the apostles said, uh, decide whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They have been told to shut down their churches, stop preaching in Jesus' name. And they said, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to keep on preaching. Because what I say there on the top of page 89 Personally, I will not allow the government to deem the Christian church, quote, non-essential during the next emergency. That when God's people need their pastor, they need means of grace the most is in times of difficulty and tragedy, pandemics and so forth. Personally, I'm going to be there. So I don't know where where you are on those things. Um, yeah, I, I pretty much agree. Um that there is you know i don't i don't know the future obviously but i don't foresee any reason why why our churches would um close our doors especially when costco and walmart are given or or the other local red light district uh, in your local town or the the bars or the uh the, the liquor store if they've been granted preferred status under the law um and and that I mean, that is, isn't just a Christian belief. Um, obviously it is, um, but it's also, it also gets to fair treatment under the law in relation to the First Amendment. 
um, that the, the government does not have the right to shut down churches and to single out, you know, single them out for shutting down and not to, not to shut down everything else. Um, there's that issue of um, equal protection under the law, which is, which is kind of the legal standing um, that there's, there's something to be aware of there. Yeah, and again, for those pastors and churches that decide, hey, they're going to shut down, you know, that's their prerogative. They might have their sanctified reasoning to do that in the same way when there's persecution and the Christians flee. They have their sanctified reasoning to do that, just like those pastors and churches that decide we're going to stay open or during times of persecution when Christians decide I'm going to stay sanctified reasoning and that's where i've said before too is we need to not judge harshly our christian brothers and sisters uh, we need to take their words and actions in the kindest possible way i didn't say that luther said that and uh, trust that their reasoning for doing this is a goodly is a good and godly reason and if i disagree well then i should talk to them about it uh, again, I'm only speaking for my words and my actions. Then mm -hmm. I talk about tyranny does not always start with tyrannical terror. Tyranny is often a difference of degree, but not of kind. Tyranny happens when one authority goes beyond its ordained limits to impose its will, often transgressing moral, ethical, and scriptural guidelines. And there you see, for example, uh, how things will gradually get worse. It's the slippery slope. You know, that I, again, I, I read this article this week about uh, there's some kind of humanist psychologist who is now talking about this is really gross stuff of like sex with animals and how that could be permitted. Well, the article, again, not the B because it's uh, you know, tongue in cheek type stuff. They're saying, I think we said this as Christians a while ago when we were talking about saying, quote, gay marriage, even though there can't be marriage between two, two men or two women. And but we said this is a slippery slope argument. It's going to go from uh, supposedly equal rights of two men to get married and then it can be three three people, a throuple, and that's a thing. It can be people deciding, I'm going to marry my chandelier. That sounds ridiculous. I share that example every year in catechism class. There's a woman in England that really tried doing that. And then sex with animals. And again, that's a really gross example, but it's when, like you were talking about with hate speech, Peter, when the government is saying you have to agree with this, say gay marriage, and then could even prosecute you and me. Uh, Nathan and I were talking about this the other just yesterday of, uh, I guess this is something they've been talking about at the seminary, is maybe as churches we get out of the marrying business because, you know, if we say we're going to marry the, these two people, but not these two people, these two gay or lesbian people, now all of a sudden we open ourselves up to litigation. And but all of that is the government enforcing it to that slippery slope. It's that tyranny by just uh, it's a gradual form of tyranny.
Yeah, and that that is a question that um, that came up in, for our churches in Canada about uh, I don't know about fifteen years ago, give or take, uh, maybe twenty. And that was their solution at the time that if the government had said that we're going to require you to marry anybody who comes to you because we, the government, give you the right to perform a legal marriage ceremony, um, then the, the, the pastors in Ottawa at least had decided, well, then we will we'll give up our legal right to marry people. You can go get married at the courthouse and then we'll have our church wedding, our church ceremony. Um, I actually talked about that a little little bit in my sermon from this past Sunday about Jewish wedding customs. Um, and, and I would say, well, you know, there, there may be a time and a place for that. But on the other hand, um, the willingness to, to bear the cross and the willingness to make a confession, to say that we as a church have a right to exist and to exercise our, our faith, our sincerely held beliefs as we see fit, and that you cannot compel us to participate in something that goes against that that there is some benefit in christians saying up and say we're going to keep marrying people here but we will marry them according to um according to the beliefs of our faith and that is a that is a constitutionally protected right that if we just were to completely abdicate it and say you know what we're not going to marry people anymore at all um then that then that is a retreat that completely gives up the field to say, well, you know, we're not going to fight this anymore. And all that is, is, is Benjamin Disraeli before World War II. All that is, is saying, if we just appease them, give them what they want, and then they'll be fine with that. Um, rather than saying, we're going to stand up for what we believe in. Um, because you see this in, in other, other countries in the world. And I mean, it's the same in our country now, you know, especially if you look at um, the, the content of the Patriot Act, for instance, and compare it with the, the Bill of Rights, um, you would be shocked. If you haven't looked at that, go look it up. That'll be your reading material for this week, um, the Patriot Act. You could just dive down Wikipedia rabbit hole and, and then come back 20 minutes later. And uh, anyway, um, and you see it more in, in other countries, although it is true in ours as well, that their constitution grants them rights on paper. But that's all it is, is a paper right. In actuality, that right is not able to be exercised. That if the Christians simply abdicate and say, you know what, we're, we, we have a paper right to exist and to marry whom we see, because whom, you know, whoever fits our definition of marriage, um, then, then that's us saying um, we have a right to exercise our faith. But if we retreat and we say, you know what, it's not worth it, not worth the legal hassle. Our insurance company is going to drop us if we if we continue to marry with this um, and continue to marry people and make this an issue, then we'll be a test case. And who wants that? Um, we don't we also don't want to retreat from from the cultural community discussion battlefield, yeah. if you want to use that terminology. Yeah. And then we'll end it with this. This quote is uh agree or disagree and then we can explain uh, churches that succumb to tyranny won't die with a bang they'll atrophy with the whimper so what do, what do i mean when i write that peter what do you think I mean salt, before I if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again yeah um i heard i heard somebody you know very influential in our faith say that once and <laughs> And it makes sense now, yeah. like 
sometimes you need the the prompting cause of you know i need to make this particular application within within our current cultural context to the group of people who needs to hear it and and it'll be so easy to say i'll just take the easy way out and we'll just pray for a miracle and i'm just going to retreat and hold up with my fritos and my netflix um, but it'd be so much more challenging to actually you know live as people who are you know salty people um, to say that we even if we have the freedom to retreat i would confess i would I might concede there would be a, a case where we could retreat into our into our cultures and our Netflix, um, but in a time of confession, there's no there is no retreating. <laughs> you know, if, if this is an issue, then it needs to be an issue, and it needs to continue to be an issue until it's not an issue. Yeah, so my even quote though, of the day. <laughs> yeah, even though we might be called out in the media and social media, governing authorities and so forth, and even other Christians might be wondering what are they doing when we're standing up against you know, abortion and transgenderism and gay marriage and so forth. Uh, we have to do those things. And a big thing that I'm promoting among our people too is we need to make sure that we're, we're, we're changing the story so that it's, we're not against abortion. We are pro-life. We are for life uh, all the way in the womb to the deathbed. It's not so much that we are against gay marriage or transgenderism. We are all for not cutting up your bodies according to the fifth commandment. We are all for protecting the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman according to the sixth commandment. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's those kind of things. It's just changing the narrative because understanding the the narrative in uh, in the media and social media it's always going to be negative against us uh, and so yeah if we are not standing up eventually the churches are going to go away um, we got I think someone else and uh, it's probably the same guy in our faith said about uh, going up against the gates of hell that they can't stand against us. That guy was pretty smart when he said those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I guess my closing comment in connection with that, um, uh, I follow Robert George, Robert P. George on on Facebook, and um, and he is a strong Roman Catholic, and he wanted to start the idea of June as Fidelity Month. Um, to talk about the the blessings, talk about marriage and the blessings of marriage, and and to talk about you know what it means to be faithful to your calling within marriage, um, and I thought that was that was you know you know gutsy, um, and and also fitting because we sh we we don't want to let ourselves be portrayed as well you're the the anti this and and the anti that. Here is what we are standing up for. Here is what we believe in, which by the way means. Here is what our faith has to offer you for your life, not just now you're going to find a new place to to pick a new cultural fight. Yeah. And there I think I heard people, I think this is the first year I've heard them saying, take back the rainbow. It's kind of the same kind of thinking. So we're going to, we'll finish up chapter five with resistance next week with the episode, but I want to uh, read an email. This is from... Uh, Luann, she is a friend of pastors, uh, Pastor Hagen's mom. So Luann writes, good morning, Pastor Zarling and Hagen. Uh, 
I am a, a newer listener to the RWJ podcast, and I'm so thankful to God for the technology and teaching me to your podcast. Today's episode that was from November 13th was just what I needed to hear. As a Christian living in a world that is doing things beyond comprehension, I frequently wonder what does God think about this and, more importantly, what should we, me personally, and in the church collectively be doing about it? We hear the precepts preached on Sunday, but what do we do about it on Monday? What you share in your podcast, I hope to use personally and in my ministry with women. Uh, thank you, Fall Short, for expressing my appreciation. I have some books on order that I'll be reading and sharing and hope to get signed someday in him, Luann. So thank you, Luann. That was awesome. awesome. So we encourage Luann, all of you. If you're, uh, if you're listening today, Luann, tell my mom to listen to our podcast too. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you could tell my mom to listen to, but she has no idea what a podcast is. It's a downloadable uh, radio show. Yes, yeah. Uh, she'll go all over the internet to try and uh, find the basketball games for my nieces and nephews, but uh, she won't listen to her son on a podcast, but that's okay. I, I know she still loves me. I feel you. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, but we thanks to Luann, and we at, and encourage all of you to, again, uh, comment on YouTube videos. You can send emails at resistingthedragonsbeast at gmail.com, on Facebook, and so forth. And then share all of these episodes. We'd love to get more listeners. Uh, I'd love to get more people buying the book. Uh, when I was at Pastor's Conference last month, I had a couple of my classmates there, and and I brought copies of my book along, and one guy bought it, uh, and then another one said uh, he went on Amazon and bought the Kindle version, which was like four bucks. So I said, "Oh, great! I made like forty cents on that." Uh, but I'm not trying to make any money on the books. It's more just getting the discussion out there, and that's what we really need all of your help to get the discussion. You. Know, Share these podcasts and the books with your pastors, uh, with your teachers, with your fellow friends, and they don't even have to be Wells. Uh, that's one of the great things uh, of other people that had helped Peter and I edit the book of saying the book is – I rewrote it so it wasn't just about Wells. He said uh, – this is – my publisher said it's too good to uh, be just in a small little church body. You know, the the Christian citizens uh, in a much larger context can use this. So get it out there, and we'll see you next week. Lord's blessings.